Well, once again, I want to welcome you. Welcome to those of you that are over in the venue. We're glad that you're there. Uh, those of you that are listening on the radio, welcome. And those of you that are watching us live right now online, you can now do that here at Big Belly Grace on Saturday nights or Sunday. You can click on and actually watch all the music and all the stuff live on Saturday and all of that. And uh, I know some people that actually have hooked it into their TV sets and watched it. Now, here's the deal. That's never to be the substitute for being here. There is something powerful that happens when believers get together. But I'm glad that we can offer that to those like Joel, who's home, who can't get here, or uh, whatever. But however you're listening right now, we're just glad that you're with us. Wanna, before I get into this, just share a couple thoughts with you. Um, you know, you basically see a few um, people up on this platform each week, myself and Pastor Scott, Pastor John, sometimes Chad's up here, he's over in the venue leading worship today. And you can get the impression that it's, you know, the four of us that, that, that kind of make everything happen around here. And that that's, couldn't be farther from the, the truth. When you have a massive church like, like Big Valley Grace with gatherings on Saturday and Sunday in the venue and our Spanish-speaking ministry and Celebrate Recovery and all that we do is school, it literally takes hundreds and hundreds of people to make this, make this happen. And the overwhelming majority of them, A, you never see, and B, they don't, they don't earn a living doing it. And there was a whole group of people. I showed up here on Saturday night, last night for our gathering, and man, it was all decorated, and just people came down and volunteered their time and thought some stuff through, and, and I, I just was really blown away at the creativity of, of people and how much they love Jesus and how that is translated into their love for the church and all of that. And I just wanted to say thank you to all of, all of you, and you know who you are, who helped put all this together, and you know, here's the deal, listen to me, listen. God doesn't live in this building. The Bible says that God doesn't indwell a building made with man's hands, okay? So God, you know, when you leave here in a little bit, didn't wait here for you to show up next week. The Bible says that if you've received Jesus Christ as your savior, he lives inside of you. You've become the house or the temple of, of God. But this building, this piece of land that we're on here does represent something to the world out there. And I think it's only um, right and proper that we take care of it and we make it look nice. And, and uh, I'm just, just thankful for all of you that participated in that. Reach inside your program and pull out that envelope. Uh, if you're new, you've become a part of our family within the last year, this will be new to you. For those of you that are a part of this family, this is kind of our rhythm, what we do. We always take a special offering during the Christmas season, and this is over and above what we regularly give to, to the church. And, um, you know, the Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. And God has given this, this church a lot. Much has been given to us. And we have a responsibility to use what God has given us in, in, in a God-honoring way. And I uh, just want you to know that this special offering, once you as a single person to go home and pray about it, you as a couple, a family, and we want you to determine what you might be able to do over and above what you normally give and bring a gift to the Lord. And let me tell you what this goes towards. 
Uh, last year, we uh, picked a number of churches on the other side of town. These are our brothers and sisters in the Lord. And uh, they are being salt and light in a different area of our city. And what we did was we took this offering or a portion of it and divided it amongst a number of churches on the other side of town and said, hey, the, your brothers and sisters here at Big Valley Grace, we may live in different neighborhoods. Our churches may be in a different neighborhood than your church is, but we're grateful for what God's doing uh, through you. And we gave them a gift. For instance, we gave Wayne Bridegroom, who's the pastor at uh, a church on the other side of, of town, uh, he, he needed a, a, a ramp to get those that are in wheelchairs into the church. It was like $10,000, $12,000, and we paid for that. There were a number of churches over there that we blessed. And I'm not going to tell you who those churches are this year, because I, I know that you can't keep it secret. Because <laughs> we want to just show up and go, hey, the, your family at Big Valley wants to be a blessing. But in January, like we did last year, we'll show you a video of, of, of all of that. And always 10% of this offering goes to uh, pay down the debt here at Big Valley Grace. And so, you know what? It could be that the Lord says, no, I don't want you to do anything. Just keep giving your regular gift. And if that's what God tells you to do, praise the Lord. But maybe God will say, no, I want you to bring a special gift. And um, don't, don't take from one to give to this, because that doesn't help any, anybody out. But would you just uh, take that, pray about it, and um, we're just going to be a blessing to some other people in our community. And... Um, Anyway, thank you. Thank you in advance for, for your generosity. Well, we're in a series here at Big Valley Grace called The Nativity, where we're looking at all the different uh, characters in a typical nativity scene. Most of you have one in your home or your apartment or whatever. You see them out on the street or whatever. Sometimes some churches do a live nativity scene. And uh, two weeks ago, I kicked off the series by looking at the wise men or the magi. And then last week, Pastor Bobby Fisher looked at the shepherds. And today, we're going to look at Joseph. Okay, he was the man who raised Jesus when he was a child. He was uh, Mary's husband. Now, this past week, I was on this website that listed all of the, the famous love couples that have been throughout all of, all of history, people like Adam and Eve. And that kind of blew me away that Adam and Eve were on this, this list. But then as I thought about it, I thought, well, they're the original love couple, right? How can you have a list of all the great lovers, you know, throughout history, and you don't include Adam and Eve. There was Samson and Delilah, they were on the list, uh, Romeo and Juliet, Anthony and Cleopatra, Ozzie and Harriet were on the list, Ricky and Lucy, they were, they were on the list, Bonnie and Clyde, Bogart and Bacall, I got you, babe, Sonny and Cher, hey. That was my impersonation of Cher. No, I'm kidding. Um, I'll tell you who was on the list. Fred and Wilma. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Unbelievable. Kim Kardashian and Chris Humphreys. I'm kidding. They were married, what, a day or two or, I don't know, an hour? They, they weren't on the list. <laughs> but the weird thing is, is that they didn't have Mary and Joseph on the list. And I, I just thought that was weird. I mean, they've got to be one of the great love couples of, of all time, at least in my opinion. So today we're going to look at this great love story through the eyes of Joseph. Now, we don't know a lot about Joseph. 
But what we do know is, is pretty fascinating. And I really believe that all of us are going to learn something. You're a guy, you're going to learn something. Gal, you're married couples, single gals, single guys, young, old, doesn't matter you know, where you're at in life, you're going to learn something. So Matthew chapter 1 is where we're at. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. All of the verses will be in your notes, or they'll be on the, the jumbotrons or in the jumbotrons over in the, the, the venue. The Word of God says this in verse 18. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man. Some of your Bibles say righteous man. And did not want to disgrace her publicly so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet, and that prophet was the great prophet Isaiah. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And you find this in Isaiah chapter 7, which was written about 700 years before the birth of, of Jesus. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. Joseph named him Jesus. Now, I'm going to lay this out in a way that I, I, I think or I hope will, will help you uh, remember it better. I'm going to lay it out in what I'm calling life-changing moments. I think there were five life-changing moments that Joseph had. And the first one was this. This is life-changing moment number one. Joseph's getting married. Woo! Woo! Man, Joseph's in love. Joseph's got himself a woman. And not just any woman. He's got himself a godly woman. A God-fearing woman. She's a virgin. She hasn't given away that precious gift just to anybody. She was going to wait until some man was going to lay down his life for her, make a vow to God to be committed to her. It was going to take more than just a dinner. <laughs> and that ain't funny, by the way. Nothing funny about that. This is an incredible moment in the life of Joseph. The Bible says in verse 18, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. This is a life-changing moment, isn't it? For all of us that are married, I mean, I mean think about that moment. Think about the, 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 the moment you got married. Think back, guys, to the day that you met your wife. Maybe a sar across a crowded room. You went up and introduced yourself. 
hey, you want to go get some coffee? And for some of you, they said no, and, but you didn't give up. For some of you, they said yes, and you're sweating like a pig when you picked them up, and you, you go and you're having coffee, and then maybe you had a little dinner or some other moment, and then, and then the process kept going, and you met her parents, and she met yours. Remember those days? How incredible that was? How special that was? Remember how you could uh, get on the phone and just knowing that there was a, a beam heading up to a, a cell, you know, a satellite up in outer space that was beaming down to where she was at. You, you didn't even have to say anything. You just knew she was on the other end of the line. And you could sit there for hours. You still there? I'm here. Okay. <laughs> Remember those? You could talk about whatever. Talk for hours. And for some of you today, oh, no. Hello? Yeah? Yeah, I'll pick up the bread, whatever. Right? What happened? <laughs> Remember where you got to that moment where you go, you know what, I think this is working out. And guys, you went down and picked out a ring. And you wanted to pick out something really, you know, massive, you know. <laughs> you, wanted, you wanted a diamond that big, but you couldn't afford it, right? You were all young. You get married, you're in your 20s, man. You picked out whatever you could. And you're thinking, oh, man, how do I differ this ring? I'm in love. And some guys get really creative, you know, and they come swinging in on a rope, you know. <laughs> Woo! They jump out of a cake or whatever they do, and. Some of you could hardly wait and just go, hey, want to marry me? And it didn't matter, ladies, how they did it, right? You saw the ring and you saw your man and it was like, whoa, this is unbelievable. You got to think back. Some of you, oh, I don't know, your, your marriage is dying, right? Maybe it's dead. And you need a resurrection. Your marriage does. You know, for some of you, it just might be just thinking back to how it used to be. And just do that. Remember when you could make out for like an hour straight? Just, you didn't have, how did you breathe? You know, remember those days? Man, you got your woman making out for an hour. Now it's... And you're done. Hey, I buy I'm out the door. <laughs> what, what, what happens? You see, I think most marriages can change in a heartbeat. Then wouldn't take a lot of marriage counseling. And I'd spend a lot of money. All you need to do is think back to how it was and just do that. And for some of you, if you do that, I just saved you 150 bucks an hour. This was a life-changing moment for Joseph. He's getting married. I'm not sure that there was a, a greater moment of joy in, in his life. Just like there probably wasn't a greater moment of joy in all of your lives when you got married, right? I mean, he was human just like us. Mary was human just like us. Yeah, the culture was different and there were some things different going on there, but wow, this was an unbelievable moment. 
But something happens. In one split second, Joseph's life is going to radically change forever. Literally, his love for Mary is going to be tested beyond anything any of us could ever imagine. And that brings us to life-changing moment number two. Joseph gets some heartbreaking, unbelievable, and if you know how to write that word down too, news from Mary. Verse 18 says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to try to imagine your Joseph. You're super excited about getting married. You're, you're dreaming about your girl. You're dreaming about your future. You're dreaming about your honeymoon. And out of nowhere, she tells you that she's pregnant. And you know you're, you're not the, 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 the father. You know it. You, you, you haven't had sexual intercourse with her. You know that. And on top of that, she, she gives you the lamest, most ridiculous excuse ever as to what's happened, as to whose baby it is. Imagine that moment. Uh, Joseph, yeah? I'm pregnant. It's God's baby. <laughs> what? Now, here's the deal. We know he didn't believe her at first. We know that because we know what's going to come. And I, I just sat around and was going, man, how did, how did that go down? See, you can read the story in 20 seconds and miss the drama in it all. Joseph's a, a, a regular guy. He's got emotions. He has a brain, and his wife has just told him or his future wife, the, the gal he loves, the gal he's been dreaming about, the, the, the gal he's planning to you know, build a house for and buy furniture for. The, the, this gal has just said, I'm pregnant. And it's God's baby. I mean, this, this has got to be the bummer of all bummers. All Joseph's dreams are gone. All his plans are, are, are ruined. Imagine the disappointment. Put yourself in Joseph's place for a moment. Get married. What? C could you imagine that moment? Here's your future wife not only telling you that she's pregnant, but that she's pregnant with God's baby. I, 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 listen, I don't know what was in Joseph's mind, but I got to believe he's thinking to himself, she snapped. She, she's insane. She's had a psychotic break. All, all the pressure of, of the wedding and, 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 and or maybe her family or maybe what's going on, something has happened to her. This is ludicrous. She's not thinking straight. I mean, it's bad enough that she had sex with some other man, but maybe this gal that I love so much is insane. Now, as I thought about this, most of us, to some degree, can maybe relate 
to what Joseph's going through. I mean, you've had people that have disappointed you in the past, right? You've had people that have sinned against you and hurt you in some way or lied to you or whatever. Maybe it was like Joseph and someone you loved, your spouse told you that they were unfaithful, that they had had sex with somebody. Wow. That just shattered your life, didn't it? I've done this for 30 years here, and wow. Some of you might be able to relate maybe a little bit to what Joseph's going through. That's a painful thing. That's something you don't, you don't get over. Maybe someone promised to do something for you and they fumbled and never did it. And that hurt you. Maybe someone said, you know, um, something to you that was way out of line. And it just brought a lot of hurt and it just discouraged you. Some of you have had, you know, a parent in your life when you were younger. Hey, I'm coming to your game. I'm coming to your game. I'll be at your game. But... Closing one more deal trumped your game. Making one more sale trumped your game, and dad never showed up. And that's been a painful thing, a hard thing. I don't know what it is, but all of us have had people that have done things to us or said things to us that have hurt us and disappointed us, right? Maybe not to the degree that, that Joseph is experiencing, but we can all relate to the pain and the sorrow and the disappointment that Joseph is, is going through at this, at this moment. Well, this leads us to the next life-changing moment, and this is the one that really got to me, okay? Life-changing moment number three, Joseph responds to the heartbreaking news from Mary in a God-honoring way. Joseph, her fiance, was a good man. He was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Beloved, because Joseph loved the Lord deeply and because he loved Mary deeply, he didn't want to cause Mary any more harm than what was going to come down the road once everybody found out. You see, in that culture, to be an unwed, unwed mother was a real disgrace. Joseph knew as soon as she begins to show, boy, she's in for a rough go. They didn't have Oliviana's closet, you know. They didn't have all these state and federal programs that would step in and, you know, take care of uh, you as an unwed mother back then. She was going to be called some pretty crummy names by uh, the religious leaders for sure, but a lot of people. And so here he is trying to figure out a way to divorce her without making a big stink about it. I mean, in Joseph's mind, there's another man out there who's the dad. He has every right to know that that's, that's their child, and maybe Mary hasn't told him yet. And he's thinking that man needs to know. That man's the one who needs to raise that child. And I certainly don't need to drag Mary's name through the mud. I don't need to do that. I love God too much. I love Mary too much. 
Beloved, this is unbelievable. I mean, most men, because of jealousy or embarrassment or whatever, would have come unglued and blown their tops, right? Most men would have made Mary pay for her unfaithfulness by saying all kinds of crummy things about her, right? How dare you do this to me? I can't believe you do that. Everybody knows we're getting married. Now some, you know, you're sleeping around with some dude. I thought about if they would have had Facebook and Twitter back in those days. Could you imagine what people would have written? Most men would have talked trash about her to all her friends or anybody that would have listened. Most men... They would have had Facebook or whatever, would have just posted all kinds of terrible things. But not Joseph. Not Joseph. I mean, even though he didn't believe her, even though he thought she was lying, even though he thought that she had slept with some other man, he responds in a God-honoring, gentle way. He responds with incredible self-control. Listen to me. He responds the way a true believer ought to respond. You see, the reason I know he was a righteous man, the reason I know that he had a belief in God isn't because he said he had a belief in God. Anybody can do that. You can see the fact that he was a godly man by how he acted how he responded to this crummy thing. This is the kind of man you want, ladies. This is the kind of man you want to try to, you want to hold out for. It'll take you time to find a guy like this. You'll have to date a number of dudes and dump them. But you'll find this guy. And don't take the first guy that comes along and says, oh, I love God. Those guys are everywhere. Even guys, oh, I go to church. He may even throw some money in the deal right next to you. Who cares whether they put money in the offering basket or not? Who cares whether they're here singing a song or not? You want to look at their life. The problem is, is that you get so involved with them on an emotional level, you know, you, you can't see anything else, and <laughs> they're, they're hot. They're, they're hot? Look, give me two minutes with whatever dude you're dating, and in two minutes, I'll let you know whether he's a godly man or not. See, because I don't have anything emotionally invested in it. I just can ask a couple of questions, and I'll do this. <laughs> or... He's maturing. He's not there yet. Maybe in a couple years he'll be a godly man. You gotta wait, because you don't know. Or hey, you got yourself a good man there. But too often, ladies, and by the way, guys, give me two minutes with, with, with a gal you're dating. I'll tell you. This is, this is a serious, serious business, this whole idea of finding a guy or a gal and dating and falling in love and all these kinds of things. And don't you want someone like Joseph? Don't settle, ladies. Don't settle. You wait till you find yourself a, a righteous man, somebody who, who, who lives out their life like, like this guy's living out his life. And by the way, you, know, you want to find you know, a, a godly gal, too, men. 
Paul said this in Galatians chapter 5. Oh, man. I'm running out of time. So Paul said this. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, right? We've all been there. I'm there all the time. Just because you do this doesn't mean you don't have these crazy things that go on in your mind and your life. You have the Holy Spirit living in you, and the Holy Spirit wants to do all these great things, you know, and you got the, 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 the human part of you that's always, nah, you just always got this tension going on, right? Paul lists a number of things here, but he says this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. And beloved, when you look at the life of Joseph, when you look at how he treated Mary, you see a man that wasn't controlled by his flesh, right? He wasn't controlled by his sinful flesh. Instead, you see a man that believed in God. He was a righteous man. And his belief in God translated into a life that was controlled by God. You see that, don't you? How in the world he just didn't lambast Mary and say all kinds of crummy things is beyond me. Wow, that's just unbelievable. I mean, he thinks, and, and rightly so, that she's been unfaithful to him. And I want you to pay close attention to what I'm going to say next. And the law said that she should be stoned for her sin. The law was crystal clear. She deserved to die. There was no wiggle room. Yet Joseph extends to Mary exactly what that baby in Mary's womb was going to extend to the whole world, you and I, and that was grace. This is unbelievable. This is an unbelievable moment. She deserved to die. That's what the law said. But Joseph is now extending to her grace just like that baby in that womb was going to do for all of us. We all deserve to die because of our sin. And yet God says, I love you so much. I'm going to send the second person of the Holy Trinity to come and live an amazing life for you and die a horrific death, be put in a tomb, and three days later, rise from the grave to extend grace to you. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. And that's what Joseph is doing right here. This gal, at least in his mind, with the information that he has, doesn't deserve this. But he's doing it. Beloved, there's no doubt that this had to be just totally confusing to him. I mean, it made no sense. He knew Mary. He, he knew Mary's character. He knew that Mary was a, a God-fearing woman. He knew that Mary loved him, or at least that's what he thought. But instead of lashing out in, in anger, he simply responds with grace. And I want to challenge you. Listen to me. Is there somebody out there that's hurt you? Been hanging on to it for a long time? 
Maybe they're dead. Why don't you extend grace to them? Why don't you end that today? Let, let Joseph here be a great example to you of maybe what you need to do. Is there somebody out there that's been unfaithful to you? It happened last month, last week, four decades ago, and you've just held on to it, and all it's done is just eat you alive. Your spouse has gotten on with their life. Your children are all grown, and you're still. Why don't you extend grace? There's somebody out there that didn't do what they promised to do. Why don't you extend grace? There are some of you here that right now that simply need to let go of the pain and the sorrow that somebody has caused you and just extend, extend grace to them because as long as you hang on to the hurt, it's just gonna eat you alive. Joseph gives us a, a great example of what to do when life kind of kidney punches you. He, he doesn't panic, he doesn't curse God, he doesn't get angry and bitter, he doesn't reach for a pill, he doesn't lock himself up in the bedroom, he doesn't call for his rabbi. He calmly begins to think through his options and based upon the information that he has, he makes the decision that he believes will be in the best interest of Mary. He put Mary's need ahead of his own. Mary was more important than even his own reputation and some of those kinds of things. Peter said this in 1 Peter chapter 4, the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most of all, Continue to show deep love for each other. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. Jesus said this in Matthew 7. Jesus said, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. And in my opinion, I, I think this was the mindset that, that Joseph had. His love for Mary was going to trump her sinful actions. He loved her deeply, and because he loved her deeply, he was going to handle her sin in a graceful way. He was going to treat Mary the way he would want to be treated if he had fumbled the, the, the ball. Now, this brings us to life-changing moment number four. Okay, life-changing moment number four is Joseph gets a special message from God. Verse 20 says, as he considered this, as Joseph considered this, you know, uh, leaving Mary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, don't, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you're to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, in your Bibles or in your note sheet, you ought to underline that little phrase, as he considered this. Because this is, this is really good. You see, this seems to indicate that before Jesus, uh, Joseph pulled the, the trigger to end the relationship with Mary, which was an act of grace, he once again thought about it. He pondered the decision. He just didn't rush into it. I mean, this was a, a weighty matter, and he wanted to make sure that he was making the right decision, the most God-honoring decision. You see, too many people, something happens, and they immediately pull their guns out, right? Boom, 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 boom. 
They're shooting off their six shooters. Let me just say, I do that a lot. I'm sure you never do. And here's the deal. Once you pull the trigger and that little lead thing shoots out of that barrel, you can't get it back. Can't get it back. That's why before you pull your guns out and start just firing off whatever, you gotta think it through. You gotta ponder it. You gotta, you gotta leave some room for God to speak into your life. You see, Joseph has this moment where his wife, his future wife tells him she's pregnant. He doesn't believe it because he's going to, you know, leave her, you know, you know in a very nice, graceful way. Obvious, he didn't believe her. But before he does it, once again, he decides, you know what, I need to just make sure. Let me run this by the Lord again. And now God shows up with this message. Joseph, Mary wasn't lying to you. And I'm sure he was going like you're going, like I go, eh, I'm not even sure how that all happens. I've been a pastor for a long time and I, you know, don't come up to me and ask me how that all what happened. I, I don't know. I don't get it. In the midst of Joseph just stopping before he pulls the trigger on this, God shows up and speaks to him. And I want you to know that God still speaks today. And let me give you quickly three ways that God will speak to you today about the, the decisions in your life. It might be who you're supposed to marry. It might be, you know, what, you know, uh, what, what business should you go into. Hey, there's lots of decisions we all face, right? Let me give you three ways. Number one, three ways you can leave room for God to speak. You hear the voice of God when you spend time reading his word. This is the number one way that God speaks to you today. Is right here. This is it. You got to spend time in the Word of God. This, and I'm not talking about, you know, I haven't read the Word for six months, so I got to wait a decision. No, no. That's, not, that's not how it works. We all have a rhythm when we take in physical food. We have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Our physical bodies need regular meals. Well, the spiritual part of you needs a regular meal also. You need to have regular meals every day where you're reading the Word of God. But here's what happens. Too many of you, you'll read something and you'll go, I ain't getting anything out of that. The other day I was reading through some of the genealogies. So-and-so begat so-and-so. So-and-so begat so-and-so. So-and-so begat so-and-so. So-and-so begat so-and-so. Really? There's all this begatting going on, and I, 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 you know what? Did I get a goosebump? No. I just read the word. Look, most, uh, this morning when you had your, your eggs or your cereal, did anybody go, whoa! 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 Those are unbelievable eggs. Oh! Oh, man, those post-toasties, those, those are the best post-toasties I've ever had. No, 
You ate the eggs, you went out there all right, and, and you went about your business, right? No goosebump. But your physical body needed that, whether you got a goosebump or not. Now, there are times when you may go to a really nice restaurant that's all about presentation, and you get a piece of meat that's the size of a quarter with a one carrot that's flipped over it with sauce drizzled across the plate, and they, they bring it to you, and you go, really? That's it? See, I'm a, I'm a volume guy. I, I want to go to the hometown buffet. Just go, hey, I want lots. I don't want one little thing and little, little carrots. Where do they find that corn at? You know? It's like, dude, give me a piece of corn, man. But here's the deal. When you go to those restaurants and you eat it and you taste the sauce, whoa. You get a goosebump, don't you? Wow. I don't know where they got that sauce at, but that's good sauce. But that's rare, isn't it? Listen to me, listen to me. There will be times when you will read the word and you'll go, whoa! And you'll get the proverbial goosebump. Most of the time you won't. But your spiritual man needs a regular intake of the word just like the physical part of you needs a you know, regular intake of physical food. And when you're taking in regular meals from the word of God, I guarantee you're gonna hear from the Lord. I guarantee it. The second way that you, you hear the voice of God is when you listen to him in prayer. You gotta set aside some time just to to pray, and once again, this isn't, you know, I haven't prayed in months, and now I'm just gonna run out and pray and give God, you know, 30 seconds to answer my prayer. No, there has to be morning prayers and afternoon prayers. You're just, you're just spending time with the Lord, letting him speak to you. And number three, you hear the voice of God when you spend time with godly people. Key word there is godly people. Some of you, the reason why you make dumb decisions and stupid decisions is because you're spending time with people who know God, they're just not godly. And so they don't give you godly advice. They give you worldly, crummy advice, you see. Just because someone knows God doesn't mean you got to take their advice. That's why we have the altar room open. So you can go in there and talk with our godly leaders and talk about a business deal that's coming up. You talk about marriage, how, parenting. We, wanna, we have godly people that are there to give you godly advice, biblical advice, you see. And oftentimes you'll hear the voice of the Lord uh, through that. Now this brings me to the last life-changing moment, okay? Life-changing moment number five. Joseph makes the choice to obey what God had told him. God has left us this book. He doesn't necessarily speak with, with angels to us anymore. I, I suppose he could. I'm not saying he can't. But we now have the completed word of God, the Old Testament, the New Testament, Here's God's will. Joseph made the decision that he was going to obey what God had told him. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. Beloved, I couldn't help but think of all the ridicule and the gossip that these two must have endured. Could you imagine walking around, maybe you're hand in hand walking down the street, and I'm sure there were people going, hey, hey, hey. There's that couple that believes that they're having God's baby. 
I could hear the religious leaders going, look at that sinner. I mean, this had, this had to be brutal. I'm sure Joseph was going, listen, listen, I know this is going to sound crazy, but that's God's baby. And obviously the people in the Old Testament knew that the Messiah was going to come someday. In fact, every Jewish gal, most Jewish gals prayed that they would be the one who got to, you know, be the gal who brought the, the Messiah into the world. And here they were saying they were the ones. And I'm sure a lot of people just went, yeah, right. How was Joseph able to pull this off? Now I'm going to end here. How did Joseph pull all this off? I mean, we know very little about him. What I read here today is about all we know about him. But how did he do it? Well, you got to go back to verse 19 because verse 19 is the key to understanding this man named Joseph. Verse 19 says, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. Beloved, that, that word righteous there is the key to understanding this man Joseph. Now, what does it mean that he was a righteous man? Well, the word righteous simply means that Joseph had a pure heart. He had a cleansed heart. It means that him and God were right with one another. Here's the interesting thing. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, there is no one righteous. No one who understands, no one who seeks God. We've all turned away and, and have uh, together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. The great prophet Isaiah said, all of us have become like one who is unclean in all of our righteous acts, those things that we think are righteous, those things that we think make us right with God are nothing but filthy rags to God. Psalms 143 says, don't bring your servant into judgment for no one living is righteous before you. So if no one's right before God, how did Joseph become a righteous man? Well, in Genesis chapter three, we see probably the number one example of, of the way people try to make themselves right before God. In fact, in Genesis chapter three, we see the very first man-made religion. In Genesis chapter 3, God has said, Adam, Eve, the whole garden's yours. Everything you see, enjoy it. It's all yours. Just don't eat from that tree right there. And then the Bible says this in verse 6 of Genesis 3. When the woman, that's Eve, saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, Adam, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked so they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. So here's what happened. Sin has just entered the world and they recognized, yikes, we're naked. And so what did they do? They have to make themselves right. So they grabbed some, some fig leaves and sewed them together and put them in all the right spots. This'll be it. They're trying to make themselves right. This is the first Recorded moment of man making up a religion. Man trying to become right. And so they get all the fig leaves in all the right spots and everything's okay. 
Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? Like he didn't know. And Adam answered, I, I, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked so I hid. You see, you can work really hard to make yourself righteous. And it may work for a moment until you're face to face with God Almighty. And all the fig leaves in the world can't make you right. All the good things that you do can't make you right. Coming to church doesn't make you right before God. Putting money in the offering basket doesn't make you right before God. Standing up here and preaching a message doesn't make you right before God. Standing up here like Pastor Scott and singing a song doesn't make you right before God. Going on a missions trip to Zimbabwe doesn't make you right before God. All those things are kind of like fig leaves. They make you feel better for a moment. There's only one way you get right with God. And the Bible says this in Romans chapter 3. It says, therefore, no one's going to be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law, making fig leaves or whatever. Rather, the law simply makes us conscious of sin. But now a righteousness from God apart from the law, apart from making fig leaves and doing a lot of good things, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness, this righteousness that's from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Peter said this in 1 Peter chapter 3, for Christ died for sins once and for all. The righteous... Jesus, he was righteous, he was holy, he was perfect. He came and died for the unrighteous to bring you to, to God. You see, the reason why Mary has that baby inside of her, the son of God was, he was righteous, he was holy, he was perfect, and he came to us, unrighteous people, unholy people, and when you give your life to Jesus Christ and you say, Jesus, come into my life, the Bible says he does exactly what you ask him to do. He comes into your life. And when the righteousness of Jesus comes into you, you know what happens? <laughs> no longer does the Father look down and see all your unrighteousness, all your sin and junk and crud. He sees the glory of his Son. Jesus trumps your sin. You see, I can stand here right now and I can tell you I am right before God. God and I are okay with one another. God and I have a great relationship with one another. I'm righteous before God. Not because I'm preaching the word. Not because I'm a member of Big Valley Grace. Not because I give. Not because I go on missions trips. It has nothing to do with that. I can stand here and tell you I'm right before God simply because I know Christ. And that's what makes me right. Look, folks, I'm one of the most cruddy, sinful people. I, I don't always love the way I ought to love. I don't always extend mercy the way I ought to extend mercy. I don't always treat people the way God wants me to treat people. There are times I kick the dog, throw the cat out the window. You know, I, I, I don't always do it right. 
I don't stand here and say I'm right with God because of how I live. Those are just fig leaves. I can stand here and say I'm right before God because I know the righteous one. And by virtue of my relationship with Jesus, I'm made right. That's why we come and sing and dance and give and preach. Because I can't make myself right. But Jesus has made me right. And I'll come and worship Him and sing to Him and listen to His Word and talk with Him and give to Him because He's made me right. The Bible says in Luke chapter 2, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. It doesn't say a psychologist has been born to you because you didn't need a psychologist. It didn't say an accountant has been born for you because you don't need an accountant. It doesn't say a pastor has been born for you. You don't need a pastor. Your desperate need is for a savior because you can't save yourself. Fig leaves aren't going to do it. It's going to take a savior. Jesus in Luke chapter 19 said this about himself, for the son of man that's Jesus, came to seek and to save what was lost. (laughs) You, me, we were lost. If fig leaves could save us, he didn't need to come. If our good works and our good deeds could somehow make us right, then what was the point of Christ coming? 1 Timothy says, this is the great apostle Paul, he says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then he says something that I I would argue with, of whom I am the worst. No, Paul, (laughs) no, I'll give you a run for money on that one, pal. And I know some of you. (laughs) You could give Paul a run for his money too, right? I suppose we could argue over who's the greater, greatest sinner. All I know is it doesn't matter who's the greatest sinner because he's the greatest savior. I know that. My question is, do, do you know him? My back pocket here, all the gatherings that we've had, I've, I've given people a chance to respond, and I don't know, there's 40 or 50 of them here. And I want to give you a chance. Some of you have never given your life to Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you a chance to do that, even over in in the venue. Some of you have come to know the Lord the last week or month or last six months or so here at Big Valley Grace, and I want to give you a chance to be a part of something really special that I'm going to do, but I want you just to close your eyes right now as we wrap this up. Over in the venue, close your eyes, okay? And if you're here and all of a sudden you're going, you know what? I don't know the Lord. I've never given my life to Christ. I'm not right before God. And you know, you get it. For the first time, you go, I get it. I understand this whole thing about Jesus. And you want to receive Christ into your life right now. This is what I want you to do. 30-something years ago, I prayed a prayer similar to this. And it's not the prayer. This prayer's not in the Bible. You just got to mean it. Just say, Jesus, I get it. You are the holy, righteous one of God. And I am receiving you right now into my life. Come into my life. 
I accept you into my life. Come and cleanse me of all my sin. Make me right with God. I give you my life. Now, while your eyes are closed and your heads are bowed, obviously I can't see you over in the venue, but if you, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, this is what I want you to just raise your hand. Let, let, let me see your hand. If you gave your life to Christ, a whole bunch over here. Anybody up in the right there? I got you. Yeah, right here, right here. Yeah, got you over here. How about out in the balconies? Yeah, yeah, got you way up there. Cool, man. Anybody else? Just make sure I see your hand. Make sure I see it. Yeah, I got your hand over here. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, I can't see over in the venue. Look, everybody look up here. Everybody look up here. Here's the deal. Venue, listen, listen carefully. Um, it, it would be sinful for me to, to not, not encourage you. In just a moment, we're going to sing a carol and we're done. We're going to open these doors up over here. And there's a room called the altar room, and I'm going to be in there. And there was a whole bunch of you that raised your hand. And it's going to be a little bit scary, but I'm going to ask you to come from all over this place, and we're singing the song, and just make your way into the altar room, and I'm going to be in there. And I just want to just meet with you, talk with you. I want to invite you to this, this cool thing I'm going to do or get a chance to, 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 to know you a little bit better. It'll take like five minutes. And over in the venue in the back, Pastor uh, Scott's going to be back there, and he's going to lead you over to the altar room if you don't know where it's at over here. And if you can't give the Lord five minutes, then you don't really understand the decision you just made. You don't understand how doomed you were. If going and you know, being in first in line to get your lunch at wherever is more important than spending five minutes with me, you, you, you don't get it. And so give me the five minutes. Grab whoever you came with and say, listen, I don't know whether you raised your hand or not, but I did. And I want to go, go, go talk with them. And feel free to come or wait out here or whatever. Take, take me five minutes. But if you've also come to know the Lord in the last week or month or six weeks or whatever, and um, I want to invite you to this, this class called the follow class, and I want to talk about it for a moment. I want you to come forward too and just go in there. And we'll just have a big room full of people, and let me just talk with you for a moment about how you can get to know Jesus a little bit better. That there's nothing more important you're going to do than get to know the Lord. Nothing. And some of you, bless your souls, you come here every week, and I'm glad. And that's a good thing. But the journey of faith is more than just coming here once a week. And so, so give, me, give me five minutes. If you prayed to receive Christ or you're new in the faith here at Big Valley Grace, I want you to make your way into the altar room. We'll all be waiting for you, okay? Why don't you stand up? Let me pray, and then we're going to sing, and then we'll be done. Father, thank you, Lord, for all of these that made decisions. There were lots and lots of hands that went up. And I'm thankful for those all weekend that have come forward. Lord, this means something. These cards mean something to me. But Lord, I know there were a lot of people who didn't, didn't, didn't show up. A lot of hands went up, but fewer people showed up in the room. And I pray that wouldn't be the case. No, I pray, Lord, you'd give people the courage to come in and talk with me for just a minute or two. Thanks, Jesus, for your goodness. Thank you for the life of Joseph. And we've, we've all learned a lot from him, I know. Bless us as we sing this last song together. Amen.